0: Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric. If you don't know me, I'd love to get to meet you after the service. Uh, welcome to all our friends and family online as well. Um, there's two ways we can get to know you and plug you in. One is to go to the Welcome Center in the courtyard where we can give you a gift and answer your questions. Two is to hit the QR code in front of you, hit I'm new, and uh, fill in your information. And we can connect with you. The, one of the other ways is that we can pray for you or with you or celebrate on that QR code. If you hit it, there's a prayer request area. So we would love to do that. Um, Also, we have a church family business meeting next Sunday. So the agenda is out in the courtyard just to update the church on what's been going on. And then last, make sure you save your date, October 24th, Market of Hope. Um, That's when we'll talk about how we're trying to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel and share Christ in various ways and how we help and partner uh, and do that. So make sure you You mark your date for that. And as we pick up uh, in Romans, I don't know about you guys, I was really excited to see Romans 10. You know, Romans 9. First service laughed. You guys got to loosen up, right? like, that was a rough chapter. You guys know what I mean? And so to come to 10, it is really exciting. And it's going to kind of be the explanation of 9. Like, what do you do with all this information? And it's going to be really good uh, just to kind of look, what does it mean to live by faith? What does it look to have faith? So we're going to look at really three principles that come from faith of what does it mean to confess and believe uh, that God can save anyone and that we need to send or we need to go. So we're going to look at those kind of three things uh, or three truths that come underneath it. And as we get ready to hop into our text, uh, just some illustrations in life perfectly illustrate what's going on. And this is one of them for me. Um, I had just uh, graduated and. Uh, I was at a conference with one of my friends from college, and uh, my friend is extremely gifted. He's the kind of that guy. Who, anything he put his hands on, anything he touched, was awesome. Um, when he was like 16 years old, he made a part um, for airbags—not the kind that pop out to save you, but the kind in trucks, right? And so that part helped it. Half the generations don't know what's going on. The older, and it's like a sliver that got that. But that's okay. And so he made that part and helped it do it, and. And then, uh, you know, he was able to start his own clothing line. And then he was on, like, uh, the racing team in the pit for the Del Taco truck. Like, who knew Del Taco had a truck, right? And so he's on that. and, And then he works for Chick Sporting's Good. And he becomes the Nike rep. So he gets free Nike clothes, right? And so I'm just looking at this guy. Anything he wants to do, he can. And for me, like, I got one gift and I'm barely good at it, right? He's good at, like, all of them. And so we're sitting down. And, you know, we just kind of both become pastors, and I'm really excited, and and I notice him, and he's kind of sad. And I'm like, dude, what? Like, dude, we made it, right? All that school, and, and now, you know, and he's like, I don't know. I'm thinking about, you know, getting into some other things. I'm like, dude, you're always adding something. Like, just focus on one thing. I wish I had options. Do you know what it's like to only have one? Like, let's talk about me, you know? And so we're walking this through, and I'm like, dude, I just need to say something. I'm like, you are always trying to like add something add something and add something I'm like what's what's going on and he's like i just feel like i need to prove you know that i'm that i'm i'm worth it and i'm like well god doesn't view you like that like he loves you and i'm like where where is this coming from and it was the weirdest thing cuz all of a sudden he just got silent and he started crying and he says you know um, we both had grown up with dad's being out of the picture and so we'd always kind of shared that. And he said, but when I was about nine years old, my mom got married and he had a stepdad. And he vividly remembers that he was in the garage and um, he was trying to help his dad and he's sweeping out the garage. And he goes running to his dad in excitement. He's like, hey, how'd I do? How does it look? And his stepdad looked at him and he said, if I ran this family, the way I run my business, you would be fired. Just crushed him. And so I'm crying, trying not to cry, you know, that whole thing. And he's like, I just feel like ever since I've been trying to not get fired. I'm like, man, that was powerful. So I said, you know, I think you're reading that into how God views you. I said, definitely, we got to work that out with stepdad. I said, but you don't have to earn it with God. He's not going to fire you. And when you bring this now into the text, what you can kind of see is you have This work that Paul's trying to do with these Jews, that they think they're saved by works. And it's like, look, God didn't hire you. He's not going to fire you. He loves you. And it's really dangerous when we start getting into this saved by works thing. And then you got this other tension with these Gentiles. And it's like, look, like, hey, we're saved by grace. We can do whatever we want. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is why Paul all throughout the letter, he's like, yes, you're saved by grace, but you do work. There's a work you do, but not to earn it, you do it because. And so I think sometimes we just naturally, in our position in life, we just think sometimes that we're earning God's love, and then it has these tensions in it. And so just as we get ready to get into our text, just think through that in your own life. If you've ever maybe mistakenly tried to think you're earning your salvation, keeping your salvation, thinking, man, he's going to fire me, and I better work harder, and just work through that because Paul's going to hit this text so well and he's going to speak right to our hearts. Let's, let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you that um, we are not employees in the grand company, that we're actually called sons and daughters, um, that you've adopted us through the very expensive payment of your son, Jesus, and we are so grateful to be called your sons and daughters. Uh, it's our great prayer that you would teach us, that you would Take us through this text and teach us what it means to have faith, what it means to trust you, what it means to love you, and the rights and privileges that come with that. And so we just pray that you'll teach us, you'll be with us, we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so there's our inner introduction, right? So first thing Paul is getting into, he's like, look, you need to confess and you need to believe. Now, what he's going to try to do here is he's going to try to draw this Jewish audience plus this Gentile audience and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys think that God is doing something new? It's like, no, God has had this plan from the beginning. From Genesis 3 on, he said, look, from the seed of the woman will be born a Savior, right? And he will crush the head of the serpent. And so the Old Testament on, the Jews are looking for that man to come and crush the serpent. And he's like, look, Jesus is that man. And it's always been God's plan to reach the nations, and you've always been saved by faith. And the, these Jewish audience, they're like, look at us. Look at how hard we work. Look at how great we are. And then you have the Gentiles, like, you're the ones who killed Christ. Good job. And they're going, well, you're pagans and murderers and adulterers, and you're polytheists. You're disgusting. So Paul's going to look, you, remember Romans 9, you were You're clay. You're dirt. God saved you. He loved you. No one's better than anyone. No one's getting fired. No one's getting a promotion. You're saved because of what Christ did. So let's hop in here, verse 5. So he's going back to Moses. He's going, Old Testament, hey, you need to realize this isn't new. God didn't change. He says, for Moses writes this about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or will you descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So what's Paul getting at? He's saying, look, if you think you're saved by works, you are literally saying You can move the hand of God. Have you heard people say that in prayer? You have, right? This text is saying, no, this is not how it works. God did not create us. And he tells Jesus, hey, the ones that really make you feel like that's somebody down there, you go down and you die for them. You go save them. So Jesus is just up in heaven and he's waiting and he's going, oh, he's tithing. Yep. Oh, and he's given, and his time, and he's going to church 37 times. If he gets to 38, I'm going down there. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't think in your heart that you can do something to bring him down and die for you. It's not how it works. At the same time, he didn't come down and go, okay, okay, I kind of like what's going on. And if you can woo me to coming out of the dead... Then I'll conquer sin and I'll conquer death. So he's not sitting in the grave going, wow, these guys are just blowing my mind. They're on fire. They haven't missed church in like 44 weeks. If they get to 45, I'm doing it. All right? He's getting at This is what's wrong. Do not think that you can put out this performance and it's magically going to draw Christ down or magically draw Christ up. He does it on his own accord. He does it on his own merit. He does it on his own choice. And when you think that somehow you can bend the hand of God, you've negated the work of Christ, and you've negated it by faith, and you've made it by works. It's a big problem, Jews. It's a really big problem. We don't want to do that. We don't want to say in our hearts, I can move the hand of God. That I can cause him to love me. That I can make him love me. Now, here's the thing. This becomes very problematic. If we're saved by works what's the formula the Bible gives for that to work? Does anyone know, is it a certain amount of times at church? Do you have to give a certain amount of money? Do you have to give up your first kid, second kid? Some of you are like, take them, I want to go to heaven, right? Like, no, seriously, what is that? And and is God really saying, like, man, if you just would have went four more times, spoken up a little bit more in Bible study, and you just could have checked the box on the daily Bible reading, I would have loved you. Is that what we see in Scripture? That's one of the most unloving things you ever think. I'm going to tell you to work, but I'm not going to tell you how to work. Okay, and so the Jews are like going, yeah, but the law, right? But we we follow the law, and he's like, you're, you're missing the point of the law. The law was supposed to show you, look at these commandments. You'll never make it. Right? Pastor Dave did a great job going last week. Adam and Eve couldn't even keep one commandment. True? Right, so he's sitting there, he's going... You were never supposed to create a system that, look at us. We're the number one ranked employee. He's never firing us. That's Romans 9. You're clay. He loved you because he chose to, not because you earned it. Knock it off. Now, the, 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 the part of this that gets very, very risky, and you can see this coming out in the Jews, there's two extremes. Look at what I've earned and you have a lot of fear, right? Like, did I, did I give enough? Did I say enough? Did I do enough? You're kind of like my friend. You're in fear of being fired constantly. Hey, that's not how God wants us to live. The other end of the spectrum is somehow we think we've earned something. So you're a Jew. You've kept the law. You've been faithful. And you're still under Roman rule. You're still a slave in your own land. And you got guys going, "Hey, this isn't what we signed up for. That's not what was said." Hence Romans 9, "Has God's word failed?" Because there's what comes with this is I do read my Bible, and I do pray, and I do go to church, and I do serve in the ministry. Now, why is the government doing this to me? Why is the United States so messed up? Why is my kid's school requiring this? Why is our governor so this? Why is my health like that? Why is my spouse like this? I don't do all this work for God to somehow hand me down this lot in life. That's the other problem with saved by works. It can create an entitlement that says, I've done the work. Come down from heaven and make this right. This is why Paul's like, that's not how it's written. Don't ever say in your heart, I will move him down. I will bring him up. That is not how this works. He is up there, and we are to trust him. I mean, start thinking about it. What are we saying? That God messed up with the people getting persecuted in China and Afghanistan, but he really loved us and put us in America because we're the special ones? Kind of sounds like the text a little bit. Oh, you guys are Gentiles. You weren't there from the beginning. We were. He's going, no, 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 you guys are missing it. Make, verse 12, make no distinction. Make no distinction. You are all clay. He came on his own. Jesus gets to this in John 10, 17 through 18. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, see this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He is not looking for a performance. We'd never be good enough. That's the point of the law. That's why he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law, that the law was to show us we need a savior, we need a savior, we need someone to do it for us. He comes and he goes, look, I did what you couldn't do, I was perfect. I paid for your sin. And then, this is why it's so important, you see that he was raised from the dead, right? Verse nine, why? Because not all the Jews believe Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. So what he's getting at, you see that, that work saved you, but you didn't cause it, he laid down his own life. Right? The accord, I have laid it down, and I have authority to take it up. This is the charge received from my father. He's saying he has the authority to do this. Our works don't ride his authority. They don't determine his authority. They don't cause his authority. Okay? Now quickly, th- this is so important theologically, philosophically, and biblically that we understand that we are never to make God or Christ what we call a contingent being, meaning that God can't work until we work. So he's up there going, man, I hope you guys do this, so then I can finally do what I want to do. Oh man, you went to church this many times, now I have to do this, and and you took that job, now I have to do this. See, you do not force the hand of God, that's not how this works, you're saved by faith, you are not saved by works. He does it on his own accord, okay? So he lays that foundation in 5, 6, 7. He says, but what does it say? Right, because he's going back, but what does it say? Back, to what does it actually say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, this is key, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. saying it's always said, that it is in your heart. He's getting back to Deuteronomy 31, that God has put that word in your heart, and out of that heart you will confess. There's two things working together, right? There's the mouth that confesses, part of that's what we want to call the public faith, and then there's the private faith, in your heart you believe, right? There's the external, we're going to go out and do, and you're going to see, and then there's the internal, you're going to believe, forgive, you're not going to hate, you're not going to be jealous, and these two things are working together, and through that, what you see is salvation. So why is confession so important? you got to think of baptism. What is one of the things we do at baptism? We confess publicly that Christ is Lord. He's king. That's what it says. He's the payment for our sins. And that God rose him from the dead. We're a new creation. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a spirit that when we come out of the water, that's symbolically being clean, being adopted, being a child of God, being a new creation because of Christ's work, not our own work. So it's saying from the beginning, it's always been by faith. And and this is very important. When we look at words in the text, you think of justified and you think of righteous. These are legal claims. You're standing before a judge and we are all guilty because we've sinned. So we have a payment to make. Christ makes the payment. We're justified. We were not in right standing with the judge. Christ's payment makes us right with the judge. We confess in a court of law, we confess that he made that payment, and it is by his work we are now right with the judge. These are big words. That's why in Luke 12, 8, you see this imagery coming through. Luke 12, 8, and says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges, confesses me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge. The, before the angels of God. So Jesus makes this a, a big deal. If you publicly announce me, I will publicly announce you. Now this is huge to ask yourself the question: Do I actually confess? do I tell people I'm a Christian? And you just think of it, this, this simple. Sometimes we don't even like to tell other Christians we're Christians, right? Just because we're like, well, they're kind of a weird Christian, and I don't want to have that conversation. Yeah, that's a different sermon on different Christians. But what this is saying is, can we even tell others, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. He paid for me. I'm his. It's his work that saves me. Are you willing to say that in a public setting at Thanksgiving, Christmas, when all the crazies get together? And you know some of them aren't. And you're like, if I could just, I saw three of you laugh. That means all of you are laughing inside, right? You just don't want people to know. You go and you're like, oh, man, I don't want to say anything. It's like, no, 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 if you deny me in front, I'll deny you. So this is very huge. I am a Christian, followed by you believe in your heart. So there's an internal that says, I know. I did not cause him to come down. I did not cause him to come up. He did it on his own. And without him, I don't get to be with God. And without him, I don't get to go to heaven. I've been declared right with God because of the work of Christ, not because of my own work. Now, what's going to be very unique about Paul, you have to think, he is a Jew that had a very Jewish education that was high up in in the Jewish religion, that he was making decisions, read through Acts on who dies and who lives, and he studied under Gamaliel, and he has all these credentials. But he also killed Christians, which is very heathenistic. So you have a heathen side that identifies with the Gentiles, and you have a Jewish side that identifies with the law and perfection of all these things. And Paul is always saying, if he can save me, he can save anybody. He stands at this unique place of saying, he can can save the worst of Gentiles, and he can save the worst of Jews. He can literally save anybody. That's why he says in verse 12, there is no distinction. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So when we think of we've confessed and we've believed, one, it's public, but two, when we believe, we've put our full weight and trust in Christ. We're trusting that He's the payment. We're trusting that He's the King. That's Lord. It says, Lord answer it, right? that He's the one in charge. That He has us in this city, right, in this environment, in this place, in this day, and we are trusting Him. We're not here because we didn't work hard enough. We didn't do enough. We weren't reading more, praying more, giving more, and He has us here for this reason. And we are actively trusting Him, putting our full weight in trust that He's the one in charge. So again, it's not, hey, I prayed a prayer one day. I did a Bible study for eight weeks. You know, I did the common core of Christianity, whatever that equivalent is, right? Like, there's no, no, it's an active, it's present, indicative, active. It's an ongoing, trust-believing that you always trust his work, not yours. You trust his authority, not yours. You trust his will, not ours. Confess and believe. And that kind of leads us to this place where we say, if God can save me, God can save anyone. And this is that Romans 9, we were clay. There's not the more beautiful clay and the less beautiful clay. There's not the dead in sin and the less dead in sin. If we understand Romans 9, You're like, he saved me. He can save anybody. Okay, now you flesh this out in Luke chapter 18, 10 through 14. It says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. That's saved by works, isn't it? He's sitting there going, I'm good. I'm keeping the law. And what a high bar. He's not cheating on his wife. He's not extorting anybody. And he's not unjust. Therefore, thank God I'm not like all these other people. Saved by works. He's using it to position himself above other people. And Jesus has something to say of it. Look, then he gets into verse 12. I fast twice a week. So there's the things I don't do. And then there's the things I do do. I give tithes of all that I get. But then Jesus says, but in 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Just see that contrast. Look at me. I can't even look up. But he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, paid for, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Yeah, imagine standing before God and saying, look at how great I am. Look at all the law I keep. Look at how much money I give. And then God says, and you're not saved. Would that be humbling? That's the humility going on in the text. You're clay. Christ did the work. Stop exalting yourself over each other. Gentiles quit thinking you're better just because you weren't the primary driving force that put him on the cross, even though our sin does. And, And Jews quit thinking you're better than the Gentiles because you grew up with it. Stop it. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So this gets into our second part, that God can save anyone. He saves the Jews. He saves the Gentile. He saves the most stuffiest of Jew. He saves the most vile of Gentile. This is why it says... In verse 11, for the Scripture says everyone, there's no exclusion, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. 12, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, King is Lord, King of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's saying no one is outside the reach of the saving grace of God. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, you guys are half convinced. We'll get there. So you look through this. Why is this good news? Because if we understand we were clay, we were Ephesians 2, children of wrath, Romans 5, enemies of God. And we move from enemies to children. Oh my gosh, if he can save me, he can save anybody. And you're saying that now is to permeate how we go and we tell and we share. He's saying, Paul's saying, look, I killed Christians. He saved me. I upheld the law but failed. He saved me. If he can save me, he can save anybody. The problem is this isn't good news for all of us. Some of us, when we we think of God's justice, there's some people, if we're being honest, You're like, I kind of don't want that guy to go to heaven, right? He's a Democrat. He's a Republican. They're vaccinated. They wear masks. They've moved out of California. I can't can't do that. That's a problem. That's a problem because we don't realize we were clay. We are saved by grace. We're saved by the work of Christ. All of a sudden, we create this position that somehow we're better, and it's like, no, no, no. God can save anyone. You don't give up on anyone. God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to go save these three, so only talk to these three. He says, go to the ends of the earth. Tell everyone. Tell everyone I saved you. Tell everyone the work I did. Tell everyone. Tell everyone. Make no distinction. He can save absolutely anyone. See, here's a problem. I've, I've struggled with that before. I didn't... I didn't think God could save my own my own dad. If you know a little bit about me, you know, early childhood abuse and alcohol and just craziness. And I remember we got reunited, and there's part of me that was just like, God ain't never saving this guy. And it didn't wreck my heart until we were, we were at a birthday for my niece and my nephew. And my dad looked over me and he goes, Hey, you know, God sure did do at least one good thing out of this crazy family. And I'm like, he said God. What do you mean? So I'm like, listen, I'm like, well, what did he do? He said, God, God made you. You're a pastor. Look at your kids. Look at your family. And I'm like, you believe in God? All of a sudden, my, just, my, just just this what God couldn't do, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you believe in God? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Eric, if I went to church, it'd burn down. By the way, that's not in the Bible. But there's people that think that way, don't they? Some of you thought that coming this morning, it's still here. So I just looked at my dad. I'm like, no, 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 dad, 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 dad. That's not true. God can save anybody. Like, you got it, and he goes, hey, did you see that girl? I'm like, no, dad, focus, focus, right here. You can go to church. He's like, hey, did you see Brett? No, focus, dad. And I lost him. Changed me. I started praying, man, my dad doesn't even think he can go to church. He can go to church. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. If we start counting people out, there's a problem. We're we're missing the biggest point that he saved us. See, if, if we're saved by works, then it gets very tricky. How do you share your faith with someone? Because you're like, oh, man, I need to go give some money, start going to church for a few weeks, help an old lady cross the street, then I can read my resume and then they can see that I'm saved. But I've been inactive and I'm maybe going to get fired. I kind of got to clean myself up and then I got to go share. That's kind of problematic, don't you think? But if you're like, no, 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 no. you can tell anyone I was dead in sin and he made me alive. I was an enemy. He made me a child. He adopted me. He did this work. You're, You're not responsible for winning them. You're responsible for sharing to them. And when you understand it's his work that he did and it's his gift, you can share that with anybody because you don't have to try and convince them. You just need to have the heart that wants to share with them because you know how great a work it did in you and it did in me. So now he gets to, okay, he can save anybody. There's no distinction. Now go and send, right? Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be Saved. 14. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how will they not preach unless they are sent as it is written? He's going back. This isn't new. Old Testament, right, guys? Look. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And you got to think this is without paved roads with sandals and without nail clippers, right? Like that's beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. He's saying, that was way back in the Old Testament, guys. That's way back in the Old Testament. God's worked this out that he's gonna go to the ends, to the ends, to the ends, and you share, and you share, and you share. God will do the work. God doesn't tell us only two people are gonna be saved, but go anyway, okay? When we get market of Hope, they're gonna come in here and what you're going to see is we're trying to help these people share the good news that Christ died for their sins and that God has offered to adopt them into their family if they'll put their faith and trust in Him. We don't know if that's going to have 1,000 people come to Jesus or no one come to Jesus, but that's not the point. The point says go, share, preach, doesn't it? Okay. Now, do you see anything about bring blankets, T-shirts, and school supplies? You don't, do you? Okay, That doesn't make it bad, but that's not the gospel. Notice he doesn't say, go preach and use as few words as possible, and when necessary, use words and share the gospel. I kind of mixed that quote in there to hide it a little. I didn't do a good job. That's a bad quote. You can't share the good news without preaching. You don't get the gospel through osmosis of a blanket. And go, oh, Christ died for my sins. Thank you. Now, we still give these things because it's, we believe, we're trusting him, and God does, and we do care about them. So if a blanket helps, yes, primary gospel. And we'll also give you food, and we'll also help you get healthy, and we'll also help you get into a better house. Primary, Christ died for your sins. And you can't be justified unless you accept that payment. You can't be right with him unless you accept that payment. Send and go, send and go, send and go. This is what you see in Ezekiel 36, Old Testament, right? He says, I'm going to put a new heart in them. I'm going to put my spirit in them. I'm going to make them a new people. So you want to sit here and go, well, if God's sovereign, why do we even do this? That's not what you see in Romans 9. Paul says, I would wish I was cut off that my fellow Jew might know Christ. And then what do you see here? Go, send, tell. Why? Because it's not our job to save them. It's our job to tell and share. Now this comes back to what you see in Acts 1.8 and Matthew 28. He says, you start here, Bakersfield, then you go out, right? Kern County, then you go out. California, United States, ends of the earth. Some of us are going to go. That's awesome. But everyone, at least, if you're not going, is going to stay, correct? as Far as I know, you guys aren't transporting out of here after the service, are you? If you are, I want to know because that's awesome, right? But like you're gonna stay. Well, then you need to share. You need to share that he changed me. His work, that's the confessing, and it's public. And you're gonna believe, you're gonna trust him. So when life takes away your health, you're gonna trust him. And when they hand down things from the government that you don't like, you're gonna trust him. And when your person and your family hates you and betrays you, you're going to trust him. You're not going to go, I don't deserve this. Do you know how many times I've gone to church in the last year? Do you know how many football games I've missed? Do you know how many times I've held my tongue and served my wife and been nice to my children? Oh, you're doing the minimum. Thank you. That doesn't save you and it entitles you to nothing. You're saved by grace, not by works. You don't move the hand of God. You respond and you trust to the work of God and the work of Christ. This is where the Jew and the Gentile need to kind of take their two positions and come on the same page. It's like, look, you do need to work, Gentile. But hey, Jew, you need to work because you love them. It's a response. His work, my response. I'm actively working this out because I believe, I trust. Okay? Now, Look at how he puts this out. Let's get into verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. That's God's command, is it not? It's to go out to everybody. He knows we don't. We're to be faithful. We're to trust. We're to believe. 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? He's going, hey, Jews, did you not understand? From the beginning, you were to be a light to the nations. You misunderstood the law. The law was not to say, look at how great I am. God can't fire me. The law was to show you two things. One, you need a savior. Two, hey, non-Christians, world, this is what it looks like to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. This is what you need. So the Christians still to model obedience To show the world, this is what you're missing. The government falls apart and we're fine because our king's not falling apart. We're saved by faith. We're purchased. Heaven is our home. We're going to be fine. They're going, really? Oh, I trust him. I believe. He's my king. I confess. And I'm going to tell this to the end of the world. Saying, did they not understand? Did they not understand? For Moses says... I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. By the way, we're the ones who are not a nation, right? With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So now he's setting himself up for Romans 11. And he's saying, look, Jews, you guys missed it. You guys missed the purpose of the law. You missed that Christ would be the payment for your sins. He would be the Savior. I'm going to take the church, the Gentiles, and I'm going to send them out, and they're going to love me. And they're going to trust me and I'm going to be their God, and they will be my people, Deuteronomy 6. And you're going to look at that, and you're going to be jealous. They're going to look at that relationship and be like, I remember when he was our father. I remember when he was our king. Okay, so when he gets to Romans 9, 11, he's going to hook that back in, and they're going to be jealous of the relationship. See, they thought, I'm employed. I earned it. He's like, no, go look at the Gentiles. They're the dirtiest, most unclean, and they're my kids. And they're like, they get to be your kids? He's like, it's gonna make them jealous because God's word didn't fail, Romans 9, right? 20, then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We don't want to be the disobedient contrary people. We don't want to be the people that think I can bring him down from heaven and I can take him up from the grave because I've earned and I've worked and I've labored and he owes me. We want to be the nation that says, we didn't even seek you and you loved me. You're my father. This this ultimately gets back into you know, Romans 9, the potter clay, Ephesians 1, he's the father, he's adopted us, and how does adoption look? I was, as we close this down here a little bit, um, I was watching football yesterday, shocker, right? If you know me, I watch football all the time, and this broadcaster, he he brings up the offensive coordinator, and he's like, this guy just adopted a child. He's like, isn't that so amazing? And the other broadcaster is like, sure, like, It's a football game. Why are you talking about adoption? And he goes, you know what I like to say? You know, if you had natural kids, their parents were forced to have them. But the adopted one, they got picked. You're special. You're amazing. Can you believe you have a father, you have a mother? Can you believe that? Isn't it fascinating that the non-Christian football guy got it? And we're sitting here reading Romans 9 going, We're adopted. That's not fair. Wait, what? What about all the non adopted kids? No, no, no. You're missing the point. You've been adopted. You had no family. You have a family. You have a father. You've been paid for. You've been purchased and you didn't earn it. What about all the others? We're going to go tell them all about it. You're not the parent. Just be grateful you were adopted. And so what ends up happening is the adopted kids are saying, well, we're the natural born. And say, yeah, but we got picked. You got stuck. Oh, I want to be adopted. It's like you are. You just aren't thankful for it. So when he gets back in, he's going to work that through. And essentially, it's like you need to be so, so cognizant that you're saved by faith. And because of the work of Christ, you confess and you believe and you trust and you work it out. Here's some questions for us to think through. Question one, does my life model that I am saved by grace? Meaning I was given a free gift. I've been adopted. Thank you, I'm grateful. Do you show how you're actively living that out? Two, how do I sometimes behave like I am saved by works? Meaning, hey, God, that's not fair. Why'd this happen? I'm like the Pharisee. I go to church. I tithe. I fast two times a week. I don't cheat on my wife. Does that ever bubble up in your life? Because if it is, you're trying to bring them down or you're trying to bring them out. It's like, no, you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. Does that come out in your life? Three, do I get angry when I think I perform well, but it seems God didn't reciprocate? It's like, okay, God, I didn't go through all this work now for the government to do this, and maybe I have to homeschool, and and, and my family doesn't this, and my job that, and this, and you're like, ah, uh, it's like, no, 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 no. God, we don't force God into reciprocity. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. Four, how are you currently trusting God in your relationship? Because to believe, to put your full weight trust in Him, again, it's not a, it's not. Uh, a a one-time event. It's a present indicative active. So it's an ongoing. We're continually trusting his lordship more, his work, his payment. And so maybe your health comes and you're like, I got to trust him. He didn't take it away. My job changed. I got to trust him. My spouse, my marriage, my kids, my government, my country, whatever it is, I got to trust him. How are you actively trusting? Because you're going to trust him. Say, okay, I trust the king. I trust the father. I don't want to show the world that I trust the Father, but I'm kind of struggling with this right now, and I need to trust Him more with that. Do an inventory. Are your actions and your heart in a line? That's part of what the text is getting at, is you confess with your mouth, you believe with your heart, that there is a public aspect that matches an internal aspect. This is what the Pharisee fails to do. He has a public aspect, look, 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 but on the inside, he's like, look, look, look. So, are you doing great things, but inside it's dead? We're like, oh, I trust him, I believe, but you don't do anything. Confess, believe, they work together. You're doing things publicly, but also internally, you're forgiving, you're not jealous, you don't envy, you don't covet, you're forgiving, not withholding, you're showing mercy, like you're doing the things internally and externally that show you confess and you believe. Do an inventory. What are some things? I got wrong on one and maybe the other. Six, how do you share your faith? Either by sending or by going. We need to do both. Not everybody's going to go to Africa, India, ends of the earth. That's okay. But we want to support. We want to send. But we also want to share here. Right? We need to confess here and tell people, what gets in the way for me doing that? What gets in the way of doing that? Because Romans 9 and 10 is like, he did the work. Be grateful. Be thankful. You're not better than them. They're not better than you. You're all the one family. Rejoice together. Quit fighting about. Well, look at their past. Well, look at their arrogant. Well, they, they're not holy enough. Quit fighting. You're saved by grace. Knock it off. Quit fighting about secondary and third things. And Be grateful you're a child at all. Okay. Last thing is, we go into a time of worship. Because Part of this is that we're bearing witness, right? We're part, like communion, you're bearing witness. I believe. I'm showing people I trust his work. And part of this is sharing your faith, confessing, telling. Well, there's this other part that we can go do right now. And we want to do this right now. As I've been looking and just praying and seeing, there's two things going on a lot right now. A lot of sports and a lot of concerts. Part of it's because of the COVID stuff, so they're doing remakes and all this. And that's great. Get out. Have your fun. But you know what happens at a concert and you know what happens at a, at a sporting event? You're bearing witness that you support either a team or an artist. Is that fair? And you know, here's the part I want you to focus on. You do it in very enthusiastically. You sing, right? Or you cheer. You're like, yes. And you bear witness. You love that song. You love that team. And then we come to church and we bear witness. Because guess what? A non Christian came into church today and they're saying, Is this whole thing real? You really believe that? You're like, I really believe it. Is it over? You have a chance to bear witness that you believe. He paid for your sins. That God rose him from the dead. He loved you when you didn't deserve it. And to share that together. I'm not saying you can't go to a concert and you can't go to a game. Just be louder here than there. I think that's a fair thing to do, right? So let's do that together. Let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for a wonderful opportunity to go into a time of worship. To sing about the great king, the great father, the great designer, the great potter who has formed us, loved us, called us, purchased us, justified us, redeemed us, sanctified us, all the things we could never do on our own. And we were called to confess that and believe that. And it is my prayer that we would confess with all our heart, soul, and mind as one family, singing to God be the glory to Christ that is his work and not ours. And we are thankful and we are grateful and we are forever indebted and love you and thank you. So it's our great prayer that we would just start by confessing this here as we go into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and we confess it at work and we confess it at home and we confess it everywhere that we believe that Christ paid for our sins and it's because of him that we can be with you. So we love when you, you praise you, In Jesus. Name we pray, Amen.